Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. Housing is in such a deep crisis it affects almost everyone, except the super rich. From people sleeping on sofas, to those working free jobs just to make the mortgage. Landlords, banks and property developers use all kinds of dirty tricks to force workers and young people out of their homes to boost their profits. But in 2016, tenants on the Butterfields estate in East London refused to budge. And three years ago this month, they beat the gentrifiers. This episode of Socialism looks at gentrification and the housing crisis. How can working class people beat the banks and landlords? So we're joined today by the dynamic duo, mother and daughter, Linda Taff and Nancy Taff. Hello both. Hello. Hello, Hello James. And we're going to be talking about how the Butterfields tenants in East London beat the big landlords and the banks and saved their homes. So in January 2016, working class tenants in Waltham Forest suddenly received eviction notes. What happened? I mean, I'd known for a little while because I was working in the local library. A friend of mine had told me that there'd been a rent increase on this road, which historically had been owned by a philanthropist organisation. They were houses built for workers in the area, you know, traditionally. Mm -hmm. And I'd been warned about a year before there'd been a rent rise. So because we are rooted in the community, I went up there to leaflet to try and see if there was a move to campaign against the rent rise. Obviously, at that time, people were keeping their heads down. But when they received those notices, that went out in the local press, which was the first time I really knew about. I don't know about you, Mum. Well, I probably got my information from you, mm. as I do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but the minute that I knew about it, it immediately chimed with the housing campaign that we'd set up through the local trades council. We'd so already uh, organised... Trades council, which brings together all the trade unions in the borough. That's right, yes. And we'd already organised a demonstration about high rents, and we were in touch with several tenants and various people campaigning. So we thought, this is a housing campaign, or this is possibly a housing campaign, and we immediately sent out very informal notices, come to our next meeting. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe more tenants were there waiting before the meeting started. And they came in and asked us for help. In London at that time, you're talking about 2014, 2015, 26. Preceding it, you'd seen an intensification of what is now known as gentrification, Mm -hmm. increasing rent rises, and then stories appearing of people being forced out of London. So Luxury developments going up. Luxury developments. So there was this consciousness around rent increases being used to force people out. The figure that had been used was 50,000 Londoners pushed out. Mm -hmm. We'd stood in the local council elections... And we'd received notes from... I remember receiving a letter from a single parent, a woman, who was having to move to, I think, Coventry or Birmingham, who wrote this really heartfelt letter saying, well done with your stand against, you know, rent increases, calling for rent control, council housing, etc. So preceding this mass eviction notice, there was already a mood in London against either economic or literal evictions. Mm. So there was a mood then among these tenants to do something about this eviction. The Socialist Party became involved, partly through having contacts on the estate, partly through our work 
through the local trade union council and a campaign was set up is that right it was i mean all we did was put a leaflet round and say meet at the bottom of the street on saturday morning <laughs> and i'll bring cakes <laughs> well not that time that came later <laughs> yeah cakes and breakfasts and all kinds of things and the tradition of meeting in the street went right throughout the campaign but the first meeting was on a very cold January Saturday morning Mm -hmm. and a huddle of about a dozen tenants came and myself, I spoke to them and said, if you've all got these eviction notices, they had a notice, they'd received a notice early January that they were to be out by Easter. Mm -hmm. And we said, we said, look, there's so many of you if you all stick together, I mean, Nancy had already raised in the kind of London housing campaign, we won't move. As because, a demand. As a demand. Yeah, that was already being and raised. That was already it? being raised. And, you know, we put it to them that if we all, if they all collectively refuse to move, mm. then they're in with a chance to save their homes. And that's where it started. Mm -hmm. And quickly, we decided to hold a big meeting in the local church hall. Mm -hmm. And some of the um, tenants from New Era in Hackney. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one housing struggle fed another. Exactly. But I think the main difference, the main thing we bought was we said to them, you must set up a tenants association. Mm -hmm. And obviously, socialist party members in the area, we'd had a long tradition in the tenants organisation. And we organised for a Socialist Party member to come along to a meeting to help them actually constitute a tenants association. Mm-hmm. She and, was and that's a little bit, a, a bit like in a workplace, organising a, a trade union, mm. self-organisation. There's lots of people who come in from outside, but organising yourself into a tenants association, I think very early on the Socialist Party said, this is fundamental, mm. and that's what they did. Mm. And what was the mood like among these tenants when these eviction nights had just come through? Okay, yes, they'd come to a couple of meetings, they'd been to a meeting out in the street on their estate where they lived, but did they feel like this was something they could win? Well, (laughs) I think it's true to say that, I mean, I'll let my mum come in after, but, you know, anybody who is a private tenant, and I've been a private tenant in my life, it's one of the biggest, it's it's one of the hardest struggles to wage because it's not even like being in the workplace, is it? Where, you know, you all go and if you withdraw your labour, etc., then you hit the boss in his pocket, etc. Housing is a bit more complicated. So when we started on this road, everybody was so outraged at 63 families being put on the street. Mm. The main impetus is we're going to fight. We're going to fight. We don't know where we'll end up. We want to fight to win, but I think if we're all being honest at the start, <laughs> none of us knew at the start whether we would definitely win. I don't know what you think. No, well, it's I mean, I've had long trade union experience, and mm. I know when you launch any campaign, you really don't know if you're going to win or not, mm. but you do your best and you try to bolster everybody's confidence. And once people are confident, you know, you never know what happened. I mean. Early on in the campaign, one of the tenants, who's now become a member of the Socialist Party, we were discussing 
what should our slogan be? Mm. Because, you know, we'd had this, we won't move. But it was a bit kind of flat. And she came up with Butterfields won't budge. Mm-hmm. They uh, called themselves budgies. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so so it was kind of, it came from the tenants. Mm. But many of the tenants, I mean, I would say most of the tenants who were actively involved were low paid, worked long hours. Mm-hmm. Immigrant workers. Ma- largely migrant workers, mm. some with families. They had all the problems of everyday life, and mm-hmm. now they had this big problem where they're going to have to move. You know, one person said they'd lose their job, mm. which meant no home, no job. Other people said, my kids are going to have to move schools, that their life would be disrupted. Mm. There was all manner of problems. Just but, so that the landlord could make extra money out of redeveloping this place. Exactly. I mean, there was... There was real resentment, especially when we paid a visit to the landlord's house. Oh, really? And we all saw what he sort lived of in. a yeah. mansion he lived in. Mm. It would have made about 16 Butterfields flats. Mm. Mm. So uh, as the campaign progressed, people became more and more willing to have a go. I mean, one you know, woman who admitted that she would get up in the night and cry Mm. because she didn't know where Mm. she was going to be next month Mm. Mm -hmm. or, you know, next week even. Mm. Mm. She found herself leading a group of tenants round the estate agents (laughs) saying, don't you handle these flats if they become empty because you'll be complicit. And that's a good point, actually. Let's talk about the tactics the campaign adopted because clearly at the beginning taking on people like the Royal Bank of Scotland taking on this enormous landlord in his mansion of course people were daunted mm. of course these working class tenants thought goodness how we have to fight but how on earth are we going to win but it was this action which they took together and a series of tactics which they adopted which helped to pave the way towards an eventual victory wasn't it so what were the tactics of the campaign well I mean I think mm-hmm. first of all self-organisation attendance organisation mm. And then what marked out the Socialist Party is we put forward the idea of not moving, of this intransigent, we're not moving, which electrified the campaign a bit because suddenly you've got 63 families who are talking about staying put. Mm. But then you have to go out and campaign for that. The posters in the windows. So, yeah, so for instance, we put up, you know, you wait, you get estate agent signs, put estate agent signs you know, on posts, we're not moving, bill posters, asking people in the area to support them, raising money. Like my mum said, the landlord tried to really intimidate him in sort of tactics where he would be visiting people in their homes, I think on a Sunday evening, to sort of pressurise them to go. So what we decided is one Sunday, all of us went to his house to mm. deliver a leaflet, a letter, right. to say, you know, please stop harassing us in our mm. homes. We went to all the estate agents in the area and we said to the estate agents, do not handle these properties. And even to this day, I'm a bit shocked that that actually worked <laughs> because they then had to go further afield to barking and further and further out. We yeah. had marches, didn't we, along the high street. We had pavement walks. Mm. We had discos. We had fundraisers. But the one crucial thing, and you know, I think is... Every 
week we met under the lamppost. I think every week I'd mm-hmm. get on my bike after work, go up there, and there was a, a weekly meet, meeting under the lamppost where they discussed their own tactics. And we mm. advised as a social party. There's other stuff. There's loads of stuff. Well, the first thing I remember, the first event that we decided was we found out that one of the flats was being auctioned. Mm. And it, it was in, the auction was taking place in a big swanky hotel in Park Lane. Mm. And the man whose flat it was came along with, it was only about two or three of or maybe four or five oh, yeah. of us. It was very few. And we put together a leaflet to the people going to the auction saying, don't buy lot number, whatever it was, because this man is being driven out of his, his home. Mm. And the reaction we got from the people who were going in, I mean, there was a whole range of people, you know, looking for a cheap place to live or some more kind of what you call a wide boy, you know, looking for something to make money out of. Mm. But on the, on the whole, they said, no, we won't touch that. We wouldn't touch it. You know, they, they did have a bit of a conscience. And then when we tried to go into the auction, accompanied by a reporter from the BBC radio yeah. who, who came along with us. Yeah. Well, I won't go into the whole story, but we ended up being lifted up by our elbows. <laughs> And escorted to the door. <laughs> so we've been chucked out of better places than this. <laughs> Nancy went to an auction, didn't you? On another occasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stood up. Yeah, so... But that being escorted out of the building, I think that does just emphasise the point that while, of course, among individuals, you can sometimes make an appeal to conscience, what you're up against here is economic forces. You're up yeah. against the bottom line, you're up against big business, you're up against the profit imperative. And while you can make an impact on individuals being escorted out by security, well, that's defending the profit interest. So as well as being able to have that individual impact, it's important to make it clear to profit interest that actually you're willing to make a fuss, that you're willing to disrupt their activities, willing to bring negative media attention onto them, and that that actually can have a bigger impact. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Mm. I mean, everything. I mean, there is the, the political aspect of what we did in the Labour movement too, wasn't there like so for instance when John McDonnell came to speak actually just before we come on to that one of the early things which the campaign did was to approach the local MP isn't that right well some of some of the tenants naturally tried to get in touch with the MP and she'd responded so this is Stella Creasy, Stella Creasy MP a, for Walthamstow she's on the right wing of the Labour Party she's not a friend of Corbyn no and the main thing was that she was proposing that she try and fight for compensation. compensation. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, from the very start, the difference was we we said that these tenants should stay in their homes, they should have the right to stay in their homes, and it was just, you know, an insult to expect 63 families to just pack their bags and go. Mm. And she was, you know, very upset, wringing her hands, you know, proclaiming it was a disgrace. I think she even threw the one of the representatives of Glasspool, the, the company responsible for selling the properties to a property developer, she actually threw them out of Parliament and she got on television and she got on the radio and she got in the papers. But that, as much as it's a great gesture, it doesn't actually keep you in your home, does mm-hmm. it? It's not a strategy. I mean, we know families with two kids on that estate. That's lovely for her to make that gesture, mm-hmm. but that wasn't going to keep them in their home. 
the strategy that needed to be fought for was to keep those people in their homes. And from the very early on, she wanted to negotiate compensation. So when you say compensation, you mean these people lose their homes, but they get a bit of extra money to help them find a new home. Mm, that's it. Costs like these estate agents' fees, um, down payment of a month's rent in advance and that sort of thing. So you is know. that the sort of demand which the campaign would oppose? Well, we always <laughs> said it was something if we lost. Yeah. It's right. not something you put at the start. At the start, you say to people, fight and see where we end up. But not if you accept, you know, the last demand first, then in a sense you're ushering people to defeat, aren't you? Mm. Mm. So we had conflict. And actually, in the eyes of the tenants at the beginning, because your local MP does have a certain amount of authority, they're your local MP. And obviously, you know, she was seen to be trying to do something. But at the end of the day, there were two different strategies Mm -hmm. being put. And we would say the strategy adopted... Mm. which was the strategy of the Socialist Party, in this instance proves mm. that it was a superior, mm. was a more effective approach. In the end, she did come over because I remember she came to a, a street meeting and I asked her specifically, are you going to write a letter to encourage all the tenants to stay in their homes? Mm. I think she said, yes, I've already done that. (laughs) She did come over to uh, that position. And, of course, it contrasted with the support that we got from local members of the Labour Party and various branches of the Labour Party who were very supportive. And she tried to get the tenants, I think, to some meeting, local meeting of, what was it, the bad landlord? Oh, that was that was another thing I remember now. She did this absolutely awful thing at the height of the gentrification process and the speculation. She gave out awards for good and bad estate agents. Do you remember landlords. That? And landlords. Yeah, landlords. Like, almost like the Oscars. Yeah. Or, you know, you got a, a whammy or <laughs> if you were terrible, but you got, like, the equivalent of Oscar if you were a good landlord. I mean, for a Labour movement representative... To be doing something like that, yeah, I just think it's it's just speaks volumes. Yeah, yeah. And it goes to show, I think, that intentions are well and good, but when it's your house on the line, when it's your job on the line, when it's public services on the line, intentions don't matter. What mm. matters is what's going to win, and that is what the Socialist Party put forward and fought alongside those tenants to achieve. Mm. So, is there anything else that we should say about the campaign? Perhaps you were talking about John McDonnell just now, who's obviously on the left wing of the Labour Party mm. and is part of the present leadership of the Labour Party. How did he come to support the campaign? I mean, I... <laughs> the thing is, let me just say about yeah. it is, we haven't covered everything, and people can buy the pamphlet, Butterfields didn't budge. Which you can get at leftbooks.co.uk. Yeah. Mm. But what we did do is we tried, we did everything... So we did the landlords, we did the public campaign TAs, but we did we did pressurise the hierarchy inside the Labour Party. And when John McDonnell came to Waltham Forest, he spoke at a public meeting. And this was sort of at the, you know, a momentum meeting, really, a lot of people on the left. What was quite scandalous was that originally they didn't want a Butterfield's tenant to speak on the platform. We were arguing for that, as I remember rightly. So what we did is we wrote out signs saying Butterfields won't budge and we got all the tenants to stand up and chant please help us please help us and at the end of the meeting they did go down and meet 
John McDonald. I don't know if you want to add. Mm, that, that's right. I mean, it was the biggest campaign in the borough at the time when, you know, Corbyn had come to power. Mm. And tenants had a lot of faith in Corbyn. And you would have imagined that the momentum movement would have invited one of the tenants or somebody from the campaign to speak, but they didn't. And we then had to rely on this strategy of just drawing attention to the campaign. But at the end of that meeting, John MacDonald spoke to us all. What can he do to help? And we don't know for sure what he did. But from that moment on, the solutions started to come forward. Maybe he got in touch with the landlord. Maybe he got in touch with RBS, the Royal Bank of Scotland. Maybe he got in touch with Stella Creasy. We don't know. But it did end up that the company called Dolphin Living Trust, which had taken over the New Era estate and which we'd contacted early on in the campaign, but we didn't get any results. Apparently, they responded to a request from the MP and maybe John MacDonald, we don't know. But that's how the issue was resolved in the end. And I think it's probably fair to say that the incredible collective action, threats to disrupt, massive profile which the campaign had built up was the decisive element. Yeah, I mean, the victory came really when we were heading towards families being dragged out of their homes one mm. by one. And I, I mean, I said, I've said this... Well, they'd actually got a bailiff's ladder, yeah, hadn't they? I mean, I said this at a meeting where we had one tenant, Mohammed, I remember him, he was a cab driver, involved in some surreal Friday night. I couldn't actually believe I was doing it, but I was going round someone's home to work out how we would actually stop the bailiffs getting in you know what barricades mm. we put up we were actually sitting there because we come to that point where we were facing families being dragged out of their homes one by one and I think really if it was a game of sort of housing chicken we won because mm. they did not want to do that and we made it clear that's what they would mm. have to do drag drag people out and mm. we would it would have gone into outer space the whole community would have been mobilized to defend those people and the fact that they were aware that you were preparing to physically impede and physically defend these people from being dragged out of their homes i think that's oh yeah that's fair to say that yeah. that would be the oh, major yeah. factor in that i mean my mum's got previous on it too because she was the leader of the anti-poll tax <laughs> union and she spoke to thousands of people outside the courts so they knew that we were sort of steeled in defending people in their homes that we'd we'd organised against the bailiffs. Mm. It weren't like it came from nowhere. It was a tactic used during yeah. the Baltics. But I must say, the end was so surprising mm. and wonderful. We'd been round all the estate agents. All the estate agents in Walthamstow had agreed they wouldn't handle the flats, apart from one who was a Labour councillor. It was a state agent. <laughs> anyway, we won't go into that now. But anyway, we found that estate agents further afield, I think it was Stratford or Barking, I can't remember now exactly. Other parts of East London. So, so we, we decided this particular Saturday morning 
that we would meet and go over to this place and pick it then. Mm. So we, I think we were supposed to meet at 11 o'clock or something like that. And I was getting ready to go up to the estate and got a phone call. And throughout the campaign, the landlord had a front man who tried to be the tenant's friend. Oh, mm. come to me, contact me if you've got a problem, all that. And there'd been some contact between us and he'd seen exactly what we'd done. Yeah. And I was just getting ready and I got this call and it was this front man. He said, I'm ringing you because I want you to be the first to know what's happened. And he said, and we quote it in the pamphlet, he said, you made this happen. You did this. And he meant the socialist party, didn't he? He got to us and I nearly fell off the chair. <laughs> <laughs> you know. She uh, found me and told me to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> then, I, I mean, I raced up to the estate, knocked on a few doors, told people because they were starting to, to gather. I mean, people were weeping. Yeah. Mm. It was such a shock. We'd won. Dolphin Living Trust was going to take over all these flats. Everyone could stay in their home. And Stella Creasy wanted to... She raced up there with she, her Facebook Live. Yeah, she to be filmed on, in the on afternoon the to tell mm. us this surprise news. Of course, we already we knew. Already knew. <laughs> so it was great. So having tried to impose a strategy from the beginning, which would have prevented this from even happening... She then turned up at the end to take the glory. Exactly. Mm. And w- wanted us to thank RBS for coming yeah. to the table. She wanted us to thank the Royal Bank of Scotland. <laughs> the Royal Bank of Scotland. I mean, give me peace. <laughs> yeah. We had a great big celebration in yeah. a local club. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a fantastic victory for this campaign. The homes were saved. People were able to stay. This new company, Dolphin, came in. There are, however, problems starting to arise again today, aren't there, on the estate? So how is it possible, in the midst of this dreadful housing crisis in London and across the country and in many other countries as well, to once and for all beat the landlords, the banks and the big companies and win secure housing? Well, I mean, we need to repeat battlefields on a a much bigger scale, don't we? We need the resistance to just be more generalised. But at the same time, you know, politically raising a programme, which we do in the Socialist Party, which is for mass council house provision and building, the acquisition of empty homes, and also to rehabilitate rent control. which Reintroduce. Would, yeah, yeah, to reintroduce rent control. I think that, you know, housing campaigns, they're not like industrial disputes. They are a bit more complicated and often one if you get like a big industrial movement that can feed into something like a tenants movement often they go hand in hand but I think we don't have to wait for that in London we're awash with flats and yet we've got tent cities so I think that the kernel of what happened at Butterfields is is what we need to generalise what we need Mm. to build Mm. generally I don't know if you want to we would like to see some kind of private renters tenants association like a renters union like a renters union but it's quite it, that's very difficult to organize I and mean, there have been some 
You, I mean, Unite Housing Branch has been trying to do this as so well. So that's Unite the Union, which organises housing workers. Yeah. yeah, but basically it's a political question. Housing now is more profitable than banks. Mm. If you want to make money, you buy a house and you rent it out. And as long as that marketization, commercialization of houses homes exists then we will have this situation and so we have to take we have to have political power we want to fight to be councillors so that we can introduce a new version of the old rent act where people had security of tenure Mm. You could have a tenancy which lasted for your lifetime. That's right. And what was interesting, on the Butterfields estate, you had older tenants who had rent agreements, who had these old-style rent agreements where actually it was enshrined that they couldn't be evicted, couldn't have their rents raised. And the newer ones, who had obviously, over time, it's a bit like if you're a young worker and you're in, on a contract that's worse than an older worker where the union's negotiated mm. better terms and conditions for mm. you. We had this little street in Walthamstow where some of the tenants were like living examples of what the housing movements had achieved. Mm. So you had a home, you were a tenant, and you couldn't be evicted. Mm. To, to my children's generation, that is that just doesn't exist. They move every six months, they sleep on sofas... You know, landlords with keys to come in to your own home when you're you, when you're in there. So yeah, I've just moved for the seventeenth time. I know, James. It's terrible. It's terrible. And yet, I lived for twenty years in a, a flat which was covered by the Rent Act, so we had security of tenure. Yeah. Now, under the the tenants on Butterfield's estate, I think they were called Section Fourteen letters which is a no, what they call a no-fault eviction. In other words, they were paying their rent regularly. They didn't trash the place. They mm. looked after the mm. place. There was no fault of the tenant that could give rise to a complaint by the landlord. Mm. And yet the landlord has been given the right to demand their flat. If the rents in the area rise and they want to put these up, I mean, Butterfields is on the edge of the gentrified, what's called the village area. Walthamstow Village. Walthamstow Village. So obviously, these these flats had belonged to a charity, a very philanthropical charity, and had been built where people who got a home could ask if their uncle or their nan could have the flat down the road when it became yeah. vacant. Sure. And so you had generations living there. living there and they weren't thrown out it was a community and it's been completely smashed up by these greedy landlords who just send a letter the tenant scurries for cover and moves out to some godforsaken other flat you know and the their families are so disrupted as a teacher I knew families who'd had to move out of Walthamstow and travelled enormous distances every day to bring their kids back to school so the kids could have some stability. Mm. So it's back to an earlier period of housing, really, isn't it? Because it, it is. in the 20th century, 
big movements, particularly in London, but across the country, in Glasgow yeah. as well, you saw in Scotland, big movements of yeah. private tenants and of council tenants collectively came together, they fought the landlords, they won things like secure tenancy, they won things like rent tribunals so they could challenge the landlord mm. if they thought the landlord's rent was unfair. They won things like the mass construction of council homes carried out by uh, Labour government after 1945. Mm. But unfortunately, that was not in the context of actually breaking with capitalism because this point about no-fault evictions, what does that point to? It points to the role of profit and the problem of private ownership. Mm. And so the Socialist Party's programme, which we think should also be adopted by Jeremy Corbyn, as well as the very important points made, includes points like nationalising the land, nationalising the big developers and construction companies, mm. nationalising the banks as well, who are behind this because they make money through mortgage payments and loans for construction developments. Mm. By taking those out of the hands of the billionaires and the privateers, then they can be planned democratically to provide housing for everyone. Mm. And that kind of solution is necessary in Britain and across the planet to finally stop having to endlessly have these struggles with the big landlords. Like, unfortunately, it looks like tenants on butterfields may, on a smaller scale, have to have, again, luckily, of course, they have this recent tradition of organising so they know what to do. So that's our final question mm -hmm. then. If you are facing a housing crisis and you want to fight back, what can you do? Join the Socialist Party. <laughs> no, I mean... Yes. Well, you should. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, we are having a session on housing, which, I mean, I'm giving a flavour of what happens at Butterfields at the socialism event um, coming up. So if people want to find out mm. a bit more, they should come along to that session and, you know, we can make contact, etc. if you're a tenant private tenant or council tenant and you want to do something then come mm. along to that session you know people have got to get active in the struggle basically and yeah i'm well obviously this is a socialist party podcast so we're saying join the socialist party but then out of that will be like a, a thousand and one different tasks fighting immediately on your own street mm. in your own estate taking up the little issues mm. you know politically fighting i always say to people you never got anywhere by working hard you only get somewhere if you organize collectively and fight mm. you know and that's we've had 30 years of people telling us just work 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 and you'll get on and you won't get on nurses are visiting food banks nurses you know are being mm. evicted and moving around teachers are too so the lesson is to become politically active and to find a role and to struggle. So, I suppose, as the late, great Bob Crow, the old General <laughs> Secretary of the RMT Union, used to say, this common coin of the trade union movement, if you fight, you might lose. If you don't fight, you will lose. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Nancy, thank you. You're welcome. Linda, thank you. You're See welcome. you at socialism. See you all at socialism. <laughs> You can hear more about how to fight the housing crisis and discuss all the big issues facing working class and young people today at Socialism 2019. It's a full weekend of discussion and debate on socialist ideas to change the world on Saturday the 2nd and Sunday the 3rd of November in central London. Find out more and book your tickets now at socialism2019.net. Karl Marx said, theory is a guide to action and socialism agrees. So here is the latest on just some of the workers' struggles over the last week. Hello again, Scott Jones. Hello. First of all, the Communication Workers' Union has won a national strike ballot for action across the postal workers in Royal Mail and in Parcel Force, as reported on last episode. But the Socialist Party is saying that there are lessons for the entire trade union movement from this victory. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a fantastic ballot result. 97% vote infraction on a 76% turnout, and that's nationally. Uh, you know, and we say in one of our editorials in the Socialist paper this week, that result and this strike needs to be a watershed moment for the whole trade union movement. Mm. So the result proves beyond doubt that the undemocratic Tory anti-union laws, which were added to and brought in in 2016, can be beaten. And actually, this point you make about the turnout, this was really important. If you listen to the episode last week, one of the biggest cheers goes up when the turnout is announced, which might be surprising to some people, but that is because the Tory anti-trade union laws insist that you have to have at least 50% of the membership voting in order for a strike ballot to even be lawful, which, of course, if that rule was applied to local councillors or to MPs in Parliament, none of them would be elected. So it's completely undemocratic and restrictive. Yeah, exactly. And like, like I said, this turnout smashes that threshold, you know, and it, it shows that they can be beaten. And a trade union providing a fight in lead, you know, giving a fight in lead to members, mobilising them, it shows uh, what can be done, you know, and it will give confidence to other workers so a fight back is possible. That's what we outlined in the paper this week. Because not just in the, in the CW, but right across the board, there's been a rising number of localised disputes everywhere. But it's been more difficult to win national ballots like this one. You know, because this obviously involves bigger numbers of workers spread over hundreds of workplaces. And in fact, it's also the case that you can't just go into the workplace and ask them to put their hands up to vote. You can't even That's do right. it online. The anti-union laws require you to do it through the post when you're disconnected from your union rep when it's harder to get the turnout. Exactly. But, you know, 110,000 postal workers have now shown there can be done if you do it right, if you do it by giving a lead. In the editorial this week, we look at the anti-trade union laws, the fight that should have taken place against them in 2016 but didn't, but what it means now and how we beat them, you know, and the significance of this dispute in doing that. And also as well, we look at the solidarity from other sections of workers that's going to be important in the strike when dates are announced, because these Royal Mail workers are going to undoubtedly face an onslaught from the Tories, who won't like the fact that their laws have been beaten. Mm-hmm. You know, the media as well, who will attempt to, to vilify them. There's going to be an attempt to defeat this key workforce in this crucial struggle. And that's why workers should be looking to set up support groups via trade union councils in preparation for this massive strike. This is something which, due to the incredible political crisis for capitalism and its political representatives at the moment, really the capitalist system has to beat and the workers' movement must make sure it's not beaten, as you said, Scott. Exactly, it's vital. So there's also this long-running dispute in Asda, the supermarket chain, over so-called Contract 6. What's the situation there? That's right. And really, I mean, it's a dispute which is crying out for a national strike, like we're seeing in the CW, to be honest. But Mm. the GMB union, who who, uh, organises those workers, hasn't led and mobilised in the same way the CW has. So there's been another march in Leeds, which is where Asda's headquarters are. About 400 workers marched on the 16th of October, angry, of course, at the plans to sack staff that haven't signed up to Contract 6 yet. But this demo was sadly smaller than the previous one back in August. Mm. You know, it reflects the fact that many of these workers have already signed the contract, feeling that the alternative of losing their job, of course, is far worse. Mm-hmm. And while the GMB has done a job of mobilising its members in Asda than some other unions in retail have with similar attacks recently, much of this has been too little too late, to be honest. The General Secretary of the GMB, Tim Roach, has said that the union would fight through legal channels for those who wouldn't sign a new contract. But does that mean he saw no alternative way to stop the sackings? Mm. You know, he also said that this isn't the end of the campaign and that the GMB is starting phase two to get workplace union density up to 50%. But of course, the best way to achieve this is to prove the union is prepared to fight. The failure to escalate the action beyond protests 
and prepare for strike action is going to mean that many of these workers will be questioning the union's resolve to stand up to the management. Yeah. That's why some of these workers have already signed the contract, because they see no alternative. Sure. And on the demo, Socialist Party members were there. We distributed a leaflet arguing for a real strategy to build such action, even at this late stage. And workers agreed to us that this is the only way forward especially when we raise the question of disaggregating the ballot, possibly. What does that mean? It could mean you know, more densely unionised stores, some of which still have 80% of affected staff refusing to sign up to the contract. They could take action and, and take a lead as a step towards national action against as the management. So this is one of the ways round the anti-trade union laws, so that rather than balloting the entire workforce as one unit, when it's possible that because of some stores being less well organised, you might not hit that legal threshold that the CWU was beaten, if you do it store by store, you can get most of the stores coming out and use that to build the momentum. Is that That's right? right, yeah. Okay, now, there are also elections going on right now for the National Executive Committee of the Militant Transport Workers Union, RMT. That's right, yeah, and an RMT activist and Socialist Party member in London, Jared Wood, he's contesting for a place representing the London transport region. So ballot papers have already been posted to members' homes on the 21st of October, and Jared spoke to the Socialist this week about why he's standing talked about the major issues facing RMT members in London and nationally, such as massive Transport for London funding cuts, and also the role the RMT can play in political events. So one of the things that Jared said is that the RMT has been instrumental in getting the Trade Union Congress to agree resolutions calling for generalised strike action against Tory austerity. Mm -hmm. We must continue to do this, but it's clear that the bureaucracy of Congress House is not keen to put these resolutions into action. He continued... I will be arguing that we do more to build alliances and joint action between those unions that are willing to fight austerity alongside us. The TUC, and for that matter the Labour Party, have missed a huge opportunity to call a national demonstration, to oppose the Tories and demand a general election. RMT should seek to develop a coalition of the willing to build unified trade union resistance to Johnson and the Tories. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for Workers International. This week we heard from Nancy Taff and Linda Taff, speaking with James Ivans, along with me, Scott Jones. Help us spread the word by giving us a five-star review and subscribing so you don't miss out. Don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. We want you to join the discussion. Come to Socialism 2019, a weekend of dialogue and debate on political ideas to change the world, on the 2nd and 3rd of November in central London. Find out more and book tickets at socialism2019.net. We also want you to send us recordings from picket lines and campaigns and reports of your activity. And we want your questions, comments and ideas for future episodes. Email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We survive thanks to the financial support of ordinary working class and young people. And we're proud of the political independence that gives us. If you like what you hear, help us take the fight to big business. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate and if you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for we need you join our fight for a winning strategy in the Labour and Trade Union movement join the Socialist Party now send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join and if you live outside England and Wales but still want to join the fight for socialism in your country contact the Committee for Works International by visiting socialistworld.net till next time solidarity